Wait, is it going? It's going. Oh, boy. You have to cue something up on your phone, though, Dave, because I have mine up there with the wild fisheye lens on it. Okay. We look like a 90s music video right now. I know you guys can't <laughs> see it, but trust me. <laughs> yeah. Especially with, Dave, with Dave's like flannel uh-huh. going on here. I like. You look like the second bassist for Pearl Jam. <laughs> Not even first string. Seeking Panther. Uh, I'm Miles. This is I'm Dave. Dave. This is Catherine. Catherine. Hi. Um, this is your second episode in the Panther Den. It is indeed. I'm very happy to be back. And you were with us for the uh, It Could Happen to You episode. Yes. With with your husband Jesse. Yes. Who sadly can't be here tonight. Yes. I'm sure he's really bummed. Oh, he's so bummed. I'm sure he would so rather be here than uh, at work where he is right now. Uh, also, is, have another special guest though. We have Blaster. Oh, we have here. Blaster. Hello, Blaster. He was snoring during the entire watching of this movie. Yeah, he yeah. was. He's I a good he's snorer. Before. Yeah. Like so many times. He's really over it. Um, yeah. Is, is this, is it still the Panther Den? Even if it's not like anywhere no. we record is the Panther this Den. Is, yes. right? This is Wherever like the Cougar Cave. <laughs> okay. So we have like satellite Panther Dens. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like a franchise. Cougar Cave's pretty good. I'll take it. So um, this is a special episode, not just because Catherine's here. Uh-huh. Um, we've been talking about the family man from the beginning of this podcast because we decided that this was the tipping point in Nick Cage's career into mediocrity and, uh, just bad movies. I mean, we were also talking today about how we haven't seen most of his movies after this. So who knows? There, there could be some gems in there, but, um, this, this seemed to be the point where it all went. Yeah, wrong. I mean it it was a it was a long slide into mediocrity. Yeah. Like it's not like this was it's not like it's it not immediately like, jumped the shark. No, and and we but, have some good stuff coming up. Right. We adaptation But and, I do think that this was like a you know yeah, the tipping a bellwether point. right for something. Good one, Dave. I haven't heard that one. That was pretty yeah. good. It just came out. Um Yeah. So uh and, and Miles, this is the fourth time you've seen this movie yeah it's for the fourth time i've seen it why (laughs) so uh i was dating someone for a couple years who for some reason her like family tradition uh around christmas presumably since the release of this movie was watching this movie together like her dad and sister really liked this movie yeah so like i guess the three christmases that we were dating i like watched it with her so this is the fourth time i've seen it that's wow. so interesting. I can like picture them in that house yeah. watching that movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this is like, it, I guess it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. yeah. I think ostensibly because it, because it takes place roughly at it, Christmas time right. and because it, it is, it has hints and he, is heavily inspired by yeah. it's a wonderful life. 
but I think it's considered a Christmas movie. Yeah. I mean, Catherine, you, you basically hit the nail on the head by saying that this is basically what Scrooged meets It's a Wonderful Life meets Sliding Doors. Yes. Yeah. Which is, is that's like bullseye everything. Yeah. Basically that's like that, this, this movie is the Venn diagram yeah. of those three circles. The yeah. weird, the weird thing to me is like it, it's a Christmas movie in like feel and the time of year when it takes place, but not really in message. But the weird thing is there's almost no message. It has like an anti-message. Whoa. Well, and here, and that's the big, and that's the big question. That's the main question I think for this, for this whole movie. And I think if I were writing an essay, this is how I would frame this, is this the whole essay. thing. Well, essentially you're, you're, yeah. Catherine, you are helping us write this we're, very so, long live writing it. <laughs> is this movie a metaphor for toxic masculinity and what men really yearn to want to be able to be allowed to do? Or is it aristocratic propaganda to the proletariat to convince you that even though it seems like you'd rather be on the other side of the fence, even though the grass seems greener and maybe the grass is greener as, as depicted in this film, yeah. but, but you, you guys really have... The real, the, the real good, right. good, the real green, green. Wait, let's dig into the first one. Okay. So toxic masculinity. Okay. So as, yeah. As uh, you mean like Nick Cage's rich, like yuppie Cage. Okay. So I, I, I wrote down a little bit about it. So this is an ultimate fantasy of a rich man. And what, what, what are the things that he has? What are the things that are presented to you? In he the has a closet with uh, floor to ceiling windows. Okay. <laughs> he has a sexy woman who's telling him how good at sex he is. Yeah. He has a, a weird old rich lady in his building that he flirts with. He has a, he sings very loudly whenever he wants and treats opera. people however he wants to, because he's allowed to be like as obnoxious as he wants to because right. yeah. he's he can, rich. He can keep all of his employees at big wall street, uh, mega firm or wherever the fuck he works. His apartment is cold and austere and huge yes. and with huge windows overlooking New York city. Yeah. He can keep his employees over like way into the, he can make them skip Christmas just because, uh, he, he feels like it cause he doesn't like Christmas, but not because it's not for any like scrooged reason. He just doesn't care. He likes money. Um, Money trumps Christmas. And and they really lay it on thick about how like quote unquote bad he is. Like there's like first they imply that like maybe the woman is a hooker. Oh yeah. And then he gives his doorman a, a stock well, tip. A stock tip. That, that very that soon afterward you learn was illegal insider training uh, trading. So but he seems really happy. Oh, he's so he's sure of so himself. He's so stoked on his life. He's so thoroughly. Wait, okay, so and that's the toxic. Wait, which? So which, that's the. So that's like the. That's the toxic masculinity. Right. So he's he's just like a, a, a capitalist piece of shit. Yeah. And he um, and the the premise of the movie, if you he has seen no it, disregard for anybody. Yeah. No. Yeah. So the premise of the movie is that he he's living his best yuppie life and just like sucking. He drives a Ferrari. He lives in a penthouse. Yeah. He sleeps with beautiful women. Right, and right. He runs he, a, a huge like financial firm and he's keeping his employees at yeah, work Christmas. until 8.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Yeah, um, but they're not like Bob Cratchit style. They're just like, okay. Um, 
but just sorry this is a i think this is a weird distinction i think it makes him a more likable character Mm -hmm. to the detriment of the story to not have his workers be like real pathetic like trodden upon like peons basically yeah. and instead they're just like regular executive guys well the structure of that are mo- like you know like all right boss you know like i feel like it would have been more effective had he been really treating them more you know i i mean the the structure of this movie is such that yeah it's supposed to be like like yuppie cage is living a bad life and family cage is living a good life but it doesn't actually like pass judgment on yuppie cage really it's just kind of like yo you missed out but you can still like i i, I don't know like it, it it we'll we'll get into it because the the whole message of this movie is fucked up but i i want to so, so so he meets don Cheadle as um a, literally a magical black man um who holds up a liquor store um to, <laughs> So the cage could save the day <laughs> by offering him money <laughs> by treating it by treating it like a business transaction yeah. and yeah. treating the man with respect and which the which we're also shown that the man behind the counter was not doing. So let's just pause right there and say already the reason that the morality of this movie is blurred and non-existent at best is that he's getting punished for doing a good deed. He just saved people in a, in a, in a bodega from possibly getting shot down. I, well, I don't understand. So, the, well, I don't understand specifically what the catalyst for the whole magical thing is. He, Don Cheadle just shows up and he's like, like why it, is he there? It, is, was Cage specifically targeted? And then that was just his in. Yeah. Well, you've been, or, or was or, his, was the hold up like a honey trap? You're just, he's, he's trying to fish. He's, right. It's fish bait. Right. Like he's it trying wasn't specific to, to cage. Yeah. Right. Well, I, he's I, just going I know, into liquor stores, which, holding things up and seeing who's stepped right, up. Cause he like, just turns okay, it around. Yeah. Which then begs things. the question, why are you so desperate to, to trap someone? <laughs> do they have a quota to meet? Like, do <laughs> well, these, and who do are these, they? Are they actually angels? Like it's not specified. But wait, I, I want to just. So what happens the, I, to Don? So what does Don Cheadle do? What do you mean? I, I'm just trying to prompt you into keeping oh, going. Oh, I see. So, um, so Don Cheadle is holding up the the liquor store, and is. what happens next? Well, Nick Cage uh, offers him money as a business transaction to do it, and he uh, to to not hold up the store or to take the, with a lotto ticket. Yeah, it's a and lotto ticket. Doesn't thing. fucking matter. He's like, I'll pay you for the lotto ticket. And, and he and he's like, well, sure, surely there must be somewhere you can go. There must be programs. Like, what <laughs> what what got you to this place? And Don Cheadle's like, wow, like you're one to talk about regret. Like in bad choices, man, watch, watch out. You're going to wake up tomorrow and shit's going to be different. And he, well, he doesn't even spell it out, but he, so Nick Cage wakes up <laughs> and sliding doors style. Like he, he's transported to a life that, uh, he would have been leading if instead of, uh, ditching Tia Leone back, what, five or eight years ago or 13 years thir- ago, 13 years before this movie takes place. Um, and uh, when they were dating, but, but instead of breaking up with her to become uh, the yuppie super king, he uh, if he'd stayed with her and instead of living in a big penthouse, he lived in a big old New Jersey house. And instead of, I don't know, uh, ki- killing homeless people and sucking their blood, he uh, went bowling. And uh, if in- instead of uh, having a beautiful blonde woman having sex with him all the time, he had a different beautiful blonde woman having sex with him all the time but she had kids and uh and it's and he worked for at, at a tire store 
and um, there, then Nick Cage, ha- Yuppie Cage, in the body of Family Cage, has to um, d- d- reconcile how terrible it would be to be happily married <laughs> to Tia Leone. And um, neither, neither life, by the way, would we mention or would it? Yeah. Or well, it? That, I mean, that's the premise. That's the, <clears throat> the premise of the movie. But in watching it, it seems like, well, it seems like a lot of things like, and so does Nick Cage like being in, in the suburban domestic life? N- well, no, he, he doesn't. And then he does. And then because um, he learns the value of family, of family. Yeah. And, and being with the ones you love. Right. And, and sometimes that satisfaction trumps any kind of material gain. And at the end of the movie, he's he's right when he gets happy with uh, his New Jersey tire lifestyle. He uh, fucking Don Shield shows up again and fucks his shit up and sends him back into the yuppie cage life. And uh so he finds Tia Leone and they have coffee together. He like, he like, yeah, after, fu- fucks after up her exhibiting life. traits of like a complete, like unhinged <laughs> psycho in, in both, the, in both realities, realities where he runs to the gate and he's like, don't get on that plane. Don't you still love me? Well, and okay. the thing is, is, she doesn't know that all of his actions. Okay, so like, I feel like it's that the kind of thing where like he wakes up the next day and he's like, "Oh, I've lived this entire life with her, where I'm in love with her," and it was oh, right. also it felt so real and vivid. Right, right. We did. But I can't talk about it. Yeah, we did. Because I sound insane. No, we I did theorize, true. however, that she had a similar experience that she went on the same fever dream because there was that like look of recognition on her face at the at the last scene. Well, okay, well, but then how own- do we account for the fact that she didn't? reach she didn't run to him when she dropped back into her reality because she was like oh that was a dream that was ridiculous i i mean miles while we were watching the movie i know you you had a lot of questions about what this plane of reality is that uh don Cheadle sends. yeah i have a lot of questions and and i understand right off the bat that this isn't something that you i don't want to poke holes in the logic because it's like there is none you know what i mean like and and i'm not going to try to scrutinize it like that yeah it does it doesn't even try to approach it like logic i yeah there's i do have a lot of questions about how it how that how that hierarchy is set up. Well, first off, you, you mentioned like if, if this was in the same universe as uh, City of Angels. Yeah. And, uh, like, I mean, what if it is? Uh, although these angels seem cooler and uh, although they're also like the, the angels in City of Angels were like nice and like took you to heaven and these angels just like are like, hey, what if all your life was different? What if your life has just been a big mistake? You want to find out? You want to see how it would be? Here you go. Yeah. And just like, yeah. I, I mean, because he gets taken out of living a, i mean he was he's a piece of shit um but he's he's happy being a piece of shit and don Cheadle sends him to a different reality and like, where he's not happy and is like he's like learned to be happy with it and then when he's like you know what i'm i'm happy with this isn't what i would have chose but this life is actually more full than my other one he's like okay back to your old one yeah, like it right, just right right you also posited like is he even an angel or is he just some like mischief god some yeah, trickster well, this god goes back to what Catherine was saying earlier about the honey trap right like, may, it, may, it might be totally random we assume because we read the morality into it that he's it's a well, scrooge situation where he's trying to teach him a lesson <laughs> right but we don't know that we're just assuming based on like that he was set up to be an asshole. So what if it is that sort of honey well, trap situation maybe where it's, it's just maybe it's not maybe it's not literally moral. Maybe it's metaphorical, which goes which brings me back to if the not, if it's not a if it's not about the morality of it. Why well, this because why make this movie like that? Why try and make a Franz Capra Fra- right. Frank? Just Frank make Capra. some wacky surreal movie about a dude right. that wakes up in like an alternate timeline where he is somebody else like. 
why would you bring the whole, you know, morality aspect of it into it? Wait, what like, is this? What does this bring you back to, though? Well, okay, so the the thing I was saying earlier about the the male to- toxicity. If you look at what he has in his life with Tia Leone in the suburbs, mm-hmm. when he where he's domesticated, he has like feelings. Like he's allowed to right. like he has kids. He's like a wuss. Mm-hmm. He he's whipped. Yeah. What else? I mean, there's like a, there's like comparisons. Like he has a Ferrari in his asshole life, and he has a minivan. Right. So he's emasculated. Yeah. What? <laughs> you called it Pharma Bro Ennui. This movie, like we were joking about, uh, like Martin Shkreli and a bunch of white collar criminals just watching this every Christmas right. and like, like and like up. weeping, just thinking about like you know this is the like the the constant like nagging voice behind every like just fucking bloodless yuppie piece of shit like just thinking like well what if what if I hadn't. What if I had been right. soft and and not just tried to satisfy all my base uh, material needs at the expense of anyone else, and then just being like, no, well, I still have a chance to make it right if I feel like it, you know. And I can I can still I don't have to give up my lifestyle. Yeah, I can right. learn the lessons Fulfilled on all the levels. Uh, I can learn the lessons of if I had have been, uh, you know, a fool enough to. But now I get to do it, but I'm still wealthy. Right. Yeah. Well, that And that is a huge issue why I think that there is like an anti-morality going yeah. on in this movie. It's because it teaches him a lesson uh-huh. without punishing With him. With no consequences. There are no consequences. Really. He just goes back to his old life. Yeah. And we're just going to go ahead and assume that because he learned something, yeah. whatever the fuck that something was... Like he's just going, a wife up. Yeah. Just that he needs a wife. Right. Which is like, <laughs> the ju- like it's just another lifestyle choice. Like yeah. the only thing, cause the only thing in his life that led us before to believe that he was an actual asshole. Yeah. Other than signifiers. Right. Like he's Ferrari. really rich. He has yeah. a Ferrari. He doesn't a care about Christmas. Right. But he's making his employees work on Christmas. Yeah. So that's the one thing where you can, okay, that's like an asshole behavior. But they trait. But to. everything else is just it, signified. Yeah, it's, he doesn't make them, he convinces he, them. He convinces them. He's, he's like, like, I he's know like, you want to go home. You. But right. you know what I have? So you know not, what I have? I have 10 zeros at the end of this. Yeah, and, and he's like, not really like, okay. that bad of a guy. No, he's yeah. not. I mean, b- besides, you know, whatever, like b- more grand, like societal, like things to say, but like him. They, specifically he's like he's liked by his friends and community yeah. he's he's doing his job which is like they I, definitely I, sterilized both nick cages like both are like really beyond reproach like they are he jumps into the the family cages life though and starts acting like a like someone having a psychotic break. <laughs> like he's acting like he's having like fits of mania and just like someone who really needs help and is he not okay. He disappears on Christmas morning. He, right. He right. tries to break into a rich building downtown. He keeps saying things to people like this is not my life. I don't. Yeah. This. Who are you? Oh, oh, we have children. Like you just, feel so really p- sorry for his children because you're like, I'm so sorry that your mom is not catching on. I'm sorry well, that right. you have to be the adult. Right. Never even. She's just like, you're being funny, but like not uh, funny this time, Jack. Cage's reactions to being in this new life, though, are what makes this movie a surreal comedy yeah. as opposed <laughs> to something that could have been, I mean, it's already super maudlin, but like it could have been even more of like a melodrama instead of being kind of goofy. Have you ever seen Bigger Than Life? 
No. It's this great movie. I think it might be Douglas Sirk, but James Mason is like, uh, he has some sort of un- untreated brain uh, tumor or something that starts making him act like a crazy person. You guys but, want water? Uh, sure. Yeah. But, and like terrorizing his children and his, his family and just acting completely unhinged. And, uh, but you know, he's like the family patriarch. So like they, it, his kid can't question him or anything. Yeah. This is, this was basically Nick Cage getting to play bigger than life, but like, um, within like a fake, uh, Capra movie. And cause his kid catches on. She's like, she's like, you're not really my daddy, are you? And he, and he's like, no. I, he, that was not an exaggeration. That's her like <laughs> cute, like little girl accent. In she's the movie. like fucking chocolate milk smeared all over her face. And she's like, she's like, you're an alien, but I love you. And they did a good job. <laughs> but like, she's in danger. Like she should not, th- this is not a, a stable person. And um, like it, it, but it, it makes it seem like, actually family cage before there was some sort of body switch like he's actually been kind of unstable and crazy he's been flirting also with uh their like neighbor and on the cusp of having an affair he's been like talking to his best buddy jeremy piven about how (laughs) unhappy he is and yeah jeremy piven just jumps into comforting him like God, you, you're gonna you're gonna oh, be okay yes. hanging in there. Like he is used to to coaching him on this. Yeah, so my a, another theory that I have is that Jeremy Piven. This actually happened to Jeremy Piven. <laughs> so this this is this him. Is great. This is when he ran out to marry his like college sweetheart or whatever. And it's just all and these like, people and, and living and, in purgatory yeah, and, and then settle in the suburbs. <laughs> and and he passed his test just like Cage did. So now he has to like kind of be the guiding angel to help someone else through their journey. <laughs> That's when Don Cheadle will come back and free him and put him back in his, his right. normal life when he accomplishes right, this. Right, right, right. Um, oh, yeah. So that was the other thing. Is is this a universe where people just continually get cycled in and out? I think so. Right. I think that's the only just way. Just learning that, lessons. Right, because otherwise, where does it go when someone isn't living it? Okay, deeper. What if that's actually our reality. We are actually the souls that are in the, the, you know, like here. So there's another like er reality that is sending like yuppies to our earth where we're just like, you know, people are (laughs) Nick Cage is fat and happy and, uh, you know, and then Don Cheadle trickster God is just sending people down here (laughs) to, uh, to learn lessons. But sooner or later we'll all get pumped back into Uh uh, our lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in the uh, in yuppie reality, okay, where I run a nonprofit and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, Nick Cage is gonna come propose to me. You know, as I do have to say, one of the only things, one of the things I should say that this movie has going for it is it looks really pretty. It looks like a '90s yeah. styled, like well, okay, so uncomfortable thing that none of us realized until it was starting. This was directed by Brett Ratner, (laughs) um, who, in case you didn't know, was recently outed as a uh, sexual predator, um, to no one's surprise. (laughs) But this, this was the movie that he directed after Rush Hour. um, And he chose to make this. So, okay. Rush Hour was enormous. He could have done whatever he wanted. But but this, this was also a co-production 
with Saturn. Yes. Which is Cage's production. Company. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that before we okay. wrap up. The I have some stuff to say about Saturn before we wrap up. But okay, <clears throat> this is. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is uh, reading from the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Um, published by Blake Publishing Limited, 3 Bramber Court, 2 Bramber Road, London, W14, 9PB, England. First published in paperback 2001. This says, uh, Director Brett Radner uh, originally refused to read the script, partly because he was too busy working on the Jackie Chan Chris Rush film. Chris Rush? <laughs> <laughs> it's not right at all. <laughs> Rock hour. And partly because he had no interest in doing a romantic comedy. Then the day he finished with the rush hour shoot, his agent called him, begged him to read it, and he loved it so much he was in tears by the end. Unfortunately for him, by this time, LA Confidential Director Curtis Hansen was attached along with Nick. They both dropped out of the project, and the script was sent to John Travolta, whose career keeps spiraling Nick Cage's in a fun way. Um, Ratner had been... uh, calling Beacon Productions, asking for the movie, and as it happened, Travolta wanted him to direct. Ratner got the job, and Travolta ultimately passed on the role. Ratner then went after Nick, uh, who had not played a comedy since It Could Happen to You in 1994, only to have Nick turn him down five times before he was happy with the script and the direction the film was taken. Nick Cage also, by, by the end, by the time that he saw the finished product, broke down in tears and cried because it was so, so beautiful. Oh, and uh, so into Brett Ratner's process, uh, this was his vision. He said, look, Nick, I'm not making Mr. Mom here. I'm making Kramer versus Kramer, but with humor. So did they achieve that? <laughs> no. <laughs> was this Kramer versus Kramer with humor? No. No. <laughs> no. It was like really far off the mark, actually. Yeah. They weren't anywhere near Kramer versus Kramer. But uncomfortably for me, it was kind of well made. Like, yeah. I, I enjoyed watching it yeah. um, way more than I thought I would. Like, this is a film I had, even within the podcast, I had almost zero interest in. in knowing what it was about and going into its world. And um, Brett Ratner keeps things going pretty well. The script is like pretty, pretty good. I don't know. It's I mean, like fast food. It's like, it's yeah. like, it's like popcorn. It's like candy. It's like, yeah, this is so good. And I, I think the editing was good. Honestly, I was yeah. trying to like put my, my finger on it and it, really and it just, was. it's the, the pace efficiency was really great. of the script. Yeah. Which keeps the story you know, it, even though you engaging. tread over the same stuff a right. lot, yeah. like it, a and lot. It, and it's a yeah. kind of an interesting premise. It's like even, the same shtick over e, and over. Right. E, even if like it's, it's played out, it's kind of an interesting premise that they go a lot of places with like the morality of it, which seems like it should be the point is really confusing and confused. And it's also often almost a hundred percent of the time secondary to the comedy. Right. Which I find really off putting. It is. And, and just this, this kind of like movie within a movie of, Nick Cage bumbling through other people's lives, acting like a completely unhinged, like dangerous person. What if it's like a quantum leap situation, but he doesn't Multiple know. universe Right, thing. so he's just going to constantly be jumping. It's sliders. This Dude, is- <laughs> oh, it's, you're right. Holy shit, this is just sliders. <laughs> um, here's another just little, little thing. 
The post-premiere party for The Family Man was held at the Palladium Club in Hollywood, where Seal sang This Could Be Heaven to an audience which included Nick, co-stars Don Cheadle and Jeremy Piven, along with Hollywood heavyweights, including Stacey Snyder, Irving Azoff, Jerry Bruckheimer, Robert Evans, Joel Silver, and Russell Simmons. Just a room full of terrible people listening to Seal and watching this movie and crying, just weeping. That's it. That's just just a little thing. Oh, yeah. Also, it's funny that so there's one scene in the domesticated life where they go to the mall and his like indulgence, his like fantasy to get back to his rich life is trying on an expensive suit. Oh, yeah. And I find it funny that like he's trapped in this other life. But what's going to relieve his soul? What's going to like really make him okay and make him like be able to really be able to bear this just to like break this family's suit? finances to get a, a suit a suit for going like, to your tired factory job yeah. oh a suit an expensive suit <sighs> i well okay so i want to dip into your other take on it which yeah. really resonates with me um, which was that this movie is weird propaganda from the the rich and powerful to the proletariat that um, actually no being rich is is bad. We're actually really unhappy and don't you shouldn't even strive for it. And even if we act a hundred percent happy and we just act like we're having the time of our lives, actually being really un- inside being unhappy is better. It's worth yeah what you have. Right. Where I, I in reading some of the reviews of this film, like people come complain about Tia Leone's character as being kind of a nag who is kind of like, you know. Whole, yeah, she's whole, having very reasonable responses to everything that's thrown at her every Yeah, she's actually time. really cool about yeah, it. Also, otherwise, she seems pretty laid back. Yeah, but... but Yes. But at the at, by the end In, of the movie, so. when, when things are kind of turning, then there is this... He comes to her being like, hey... I just, he like worked to get in with old yuppie cages, like Which, Wall Street company. Like just the weirdest like roundabout way. That was. But he, he, come, he, he like works to get back in there and like succeed. He has a new fire to do it. He, it's what he wants to do. And he wants to, you know, build a better life for them with, with that money. And she's like, no, that sucks. Like. I I want you to stay in Jersey because I I don't want to move. It felt to me that this, it was really part of that message of, he was like, I want to do this. Like I want to build a better life for us. And she was like, no, that's not your place to do that. She eventually comes around though. Remember? Right. She she, has the last speech where she's like, if you want to do it, what you need. Yeah. But I'll do it in like, kind of like the most, like she's like, this would make me really miserable and I would hate it. But I am doing this because I love you and we could do, we could. Yeah. And it's interesting. And there's kind of like evidence for this in like the script. Like they speak like really condescendingly about like people who work. I mean the whole, the whole take on like uh, there's, there's the yuppie signifiers and then there's like the low class signifiers of like, Oh, he likes bowling and you know, he goes to Jeremy Piven's like man den and there's like a barca lounger and a, and a tiki cl- bar. Yeah. But the, the thing is, it's not even low class. Like it's they're living upper a middle class, middle yeah. class life. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, it's not like he wakes up in like a one bedroom apartment with like six kids. He wakes up like in like a, a huge life. house. A brick yeah. house. Right. Yeah. Porches and, and, like, and he's doing bedrooms. fine. He's working for his father-in-law's company. Like, right. Oh, horror. He drives a minivan. Right. 
Yeah, which kind of I feel like makes it like more propagandistic in that in that way. In that it's not it's like it's not even dealing with like actual poverty. No, you no, know? I I think that it's like a rich person's version of poverty. Like yeah. we because we're supposed to sympathize with we're how hard like, how, how he, hard he it, it must tough. be. He yeah. has to go to work every day. Yeah, he he, he like. His father-in-law wears a cowboy hat and he has to work for him. Gross. He he has to interact with real people. This movie prepared us for the political climate we're in now. The tax bill is just a direct result of the influence of this movie. Okay. Um, uh, other, <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. N- other, um, All Ryan loves this movie. <laughs> dude, every Christmas. Um, what about that part where they uh, they eat? chocolate cake on the stairs and like smush, oh my smush it all over each other's mouth. It's supposed to be a romantic moment and it's so disgusting. And it should also be, it should also be like mentioned that this is, movie is so overly sweet. It's awkward. Like you can't, you can eventually it becomes cringeworthy. It's just, it, it's so over the top that it just does not, it does not feel good. Yeah. I I've seen way worse again. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was kind of ready for that, okay. but I, but I was surprised at how like watchable this was. And in big part, because I actually, this, I really like Nick Cage's performance in this, yeah. which I wasn't expecting. expecting. Cause uh, it seems like they let him, I mean, he's just doing the things that, that, yeah. that I, I his, really appreciate. His performance definitely saves this movie. It would be, it would be unwatchable without yeah. him, I think. But I'm, his, I'm, his, I took you away from chocolate, chocolate cake stairs. So. Oh, oh yeah. I, I did want to say that I, I think eating chocolate cake on the stairs is a funny euphemism for sex. <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, my pet theory is that, um, family cage and his wife actually have like a, a food smushing kink where they, uh, like, <laughs> Like sit on pastries together and stuff, and so like when he when he that when, that whole scene was foreplay. Yeah, like yeah, that's just, just standard. Had, he just had no idea what was going on. It was just like going along with it. Yeah, yeah. He thought it was like a special moment, but actually, like that's she loves it. She bakes like uh, blueberry pies to like smush in his underwear and stuff, and uh, <laughs> so um, that's that's just something I like to imagine is true about these people that don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> what was I saying though? Cake on the stairs. Oh, Cage's performance. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He has a lot of like just really interesting line readings and he seems like he's having, f- he's, f- he's fun. He's like actually like pretty energetic and like, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, and I could watch Tia Leone in anything. She's good. She, she a, a lot. I mean, she, she does a good job with, uh, what she has what to she work has with. Don Cheadle does a great job I, I love Don Cheadle and he has a pretty thankless role and uh um, what do you the think most of thankless in the whole movie yeah yeah I mean just showing up playing like you know hip-hop thug who's like holding up a store even though it's just like ugh. trying to trying to cash in a lottery ticket like but he he does a good job then he shows up in his Ferrari yeah. and then he shows up as the clerk of another convenience store. What did you think of the little girl actress? I didn't like her. I also found it weirdly creepy that she was like psychic and somehow knew. Uh, yeah, I had completely like phased that subplot out of my memory of this movie. I mean, because it, it only <laughs> and, shows and up it, in like a couple scenes. Right. And it doesn't advance the plot in no. any way. It's just like kind of I mean, I cute. guess. Uh, I guess she does explain to him what he's supposed to do. 
Yeah, but he should be able to figure it out. Like she doesn't explain. She's like, I go to school and you need to drive me there and pick me up. And he's like, thank you. Like, I don't know. Also, why is she helping this stranger? She, 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 she's being, we're watching her be traumatized for life. Yeah. And also another reading. What if every, like, what if this happens often? What if she's used to this? What if this particular, well, no, like what if this particular vessel was just constantly being like filled with yuppies that needed to be like (laughs) taught a lesson. So just every once in a while she would just wake up and realize like someone else is my dad. So, so you're saying, so you're you're saying like at at the, near the end of this movie, when Don Cheadle takes yuppie cage back to his original life, that someone else, someone else entered family cages, family cages body. (laughs) I had a theory. Yeah. This is in the future where people are entering simulations all the time for fun and entertainment. And that Tia Leone character, Tia Leone's character was a very wealthy lawyer who was like, you know what? I want to get married and I liked that guy from my past. So I'm going to pay hackers to make his simulation a universe jump simulation where he gets to understand the benefit of. So actually it was like all a dream, but it was just so. so Basically you just are getting someone to fall in love with you without you having to put any of the actual. It's the future. Yuppie Cage fell asleep. It's the clear future. People hacked his brain to give him a simulation of how perfect it would be to be married to Tealione. He woke up Mm -hmm. and changed his life to like, and you know, and secretly she's actually a completely manipulative narcissist creepo. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she just has to act surprised. Yeah. She's like, like, oh, shows wow. up and she, she's like, wait, I love you. I want to get married. She, she even feigns resistance. Yeah. She's even like, she knew no, the whole time. I, I have to go to Paris. Oh, sure. I guess I'll stay after and have a cup of coffee. After you didn't do the li- this literal exact thing years ago when they were actually going out, when they were actually I, dating. Also, he shows up at the end. She's going to Paris to like start her big new job. And he shows up. He's like, okay, I know this is crazy, but I dreamed I was with you and I want to be with you now forever. And don't go to Paris. Dude, stay and have a cup of coffee. And it's like, if you're that serious about it, then you go to Paris. You make the effort. Yeah. I'm sorry. You've already fucked up your business deal because you were supposed to go to Aspen and instead you're showing up asking her to throw things away because you you stepped out of her life like 13 years ago and now you you had a funny dream. They're going to, I mean, you know, they they might live happily ever after if we're going to believe what we're led to believe, but they're going to need a lot of therapy to get through this. It's going to, I mean, he has serious brain trauma. Yeah, he's exhibiting warning signs left and right. Um, Catherine, how'd you feel about the score of this movie? Oh my God. The score was amazing. I'm going to send you the snippets that I have and you have to, you have to play them under us talking periodically. Danny Elfman. The the score was the most nineties score I've ever heard in my entire life. Very manipulative. Kept things moving. It was was facetious. What was the deal with, um, Don Cheadle gives him like a little bicycle bell. Yes. I loved that. And because then, he was like, and he, and Cage turns to Cheadle and he's like, what? So I'm supposed to like ring this when, when you're supposed to come back. And he's like, he kind of implies like, it's going to help you in some way. Like I'm not confirming or denying anything. And then, and he's asking Don, like, how long do I have to stay here? Like what, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I know when I'm done? And Cheadle's like, as long as it takes 
But the bicycle bell shows up way later when like his daughter has it and she like rings it. Well, he's lost and he doesn't know what's going on and she's holding the bell and she rides up. That's his first clue. He has this bell and it's all about his daughter. It's all about the uh, love. It's, it's all, all about that yeah. feeling. And then when it comes so back at the she end. she rang the bell Dumb. when he learned to love her. Yeah. And he had learned his lesson. Dumb. Yeah. And it was a signal to, to him that Don Cheadle was going to come back And now all. you explain it. That's why he yeah. stays really, up. He stays up all night. He's freaked he out. He thinks. Because right. yeah. he got there by falling asleep in his bed and waking up here. So he thinks like, okay, if I can make through the night and not go to sleep, I'll stay in this universe. That's why he stays up all night and watches right. the VHs and right, right. sits in the chair in his bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to stay. That's the lesson, guys. He chooses that life. Okay, I know I'm bouncing around a lot, but um, what about the fact that Yuppie Cage stopped by that convenience store to buy like a quart of eggnog just to drink on his way home? What about it? How do you feel about that? I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know. He never I, even got to drink it though, because Cheadle stole it. it out he of gave his it hand. back to him. Dude, though. what a fucker! Yeah, and then he oh, and then he threw it in the trash. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know Tia Leone is uh, David Duchovny's wife, or I maybe did. was? I, I was, maybe still yeah. is. And during this film, their her daughter—I don't know if his daughter, but her daughter had uh, like serious pneumonia and had to go to the hospital. So she was like. She went to the hospital. She was in a very emotional state during this movie. Wow. And also Nick uh, Cage's marriage to Patricia Arquette was ending. That's sad. Yeah. So in some ways his his false domestic life uh, yeah. was crumbling around him. In no wonder life, he cried. As well as in the film. Yeah, no wonder. Yeah. Um, the other big milestone that uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but... Um, I mean, this is, this is a callback to our very first episode, I think, but uh, I still have a memory of like a friend of a friend telling me about being Nick Cage's assistant and uh, that, or telling me that about their friend being Nick Cage's assistant and that when uh, he was working with him when he bought the haunted house in New Orleans and uh, apparently... According to the friend, he started to go crazy and like his career was cursed ever since. I, I don't remember when that was supposed to happen, but I think we're coming up to it. <laughs> and here's the correlation. Do, yeah, does it does it dovetail with the with the, the uh, tipping point that yeah. is the family man? Yeah, I think I think it's around this yeah. time. I'll, I should have looked it up, but I didn't. I got I have, stoned. I have the internet right here. Yeah, fine. when did when did he buy that house? So no one in this movie makes a logical decision given the circumstances, right? Which right. which gives it this bizarre kind of like surreal, like slapstick kind of feel sometimes, like where it feels like a more of a cartoon because people are just making like weird random choices based on like strange emotions that don't yeah. that don't really make sense with the circumstances. Yeah, there there's kind of the motivations of the characters to me don't really feel grounded in real life. Like, and, and uh, okay. So talking again about like Nick Cage doing a good performance, I, like, we've talked a lot about like, I, uh, when he's at his best is when the reality that the film takes place in is heightened to a kind of like cartoonish, uh, level and i like i said i wasn't expecting that from this movie at all but i it, but it is it's kind of a cartoon it's kind of like a mr magoo christmas story or uh, you know it, it it's it, and so he plays it pretty broad and it works it's fun to watch and it doesn't feel like 
you're not like, I don't know, like you don't question the motivations of people and because it doesn't matter. You know how the, you see the, right. the, the gears turning and the of the characters are dependent on where the story needs to go. Exactly. But it but it's so kind of, it's so well-constructed and blatant about that, that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, <laughs> so you, it, so we still end up at the end going off? like, what That's the such fuck? A weird middle ground I, to like fall yeah. into. Ratner, I guess. Like, I don't want to give him. I don't even know if that's giving him credit. But it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. He, I, I guess I got it. I, I understood watching this movie how it could be people's Christmas movies. I think that's fucking weird. That that you would want to watch this movie over and over again at the holidays because it's it left me feeling kind of. <laughs> kind of uneasy no it is it's it's an unsettling movie (laughs) i remember the first time i saw it which wasn't that long ago it was like five years ago or something and i was just like why like yeah like what (laughs) i was so confused by so much about it i can't believe you've seen it four times that makes me really happy i've 2007 he bought the ghost front property Okay, so it was a, it was a while. Okay, after. so we're we're coming up on yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else? I mean, is there is, more to say? Is there more to say? Um, Originally, Jesse and I wanted to be or were offering to be on this podcast because he and I both kind of like this movie. Like we both kind of like. Yeah. When we were all talking about this, I you know a while back, I was like, oh, this isn't a bad movie, and Jesse was like, yeah, that movie's not like a bad movie, and it's like I enjoy it it's by no means because it's a good movie, but I enjoyed it. How do you how do you feel about it now? What changed? Oh my goodness, I don't know. The schmaltz was really hard to take, like the over saccharine. It's just it's like moments so thin. repeatedly yeah. in like very similar ways. Shamelessly, it's, it's like yeah. butter. It's just spread it's across more, the whole thing. It's more telling you than like genuinely showing you like a real moment. It's more like yeah. Right, which is why it feels moralistic because the way that it's forcing yeah. it, its message at you, but when you actually the message look seems at like the it message, it's a weird message. no message. It's weird. No, I, I, it, it feels like, yeah, they were like, okay, it's a wonderful life, sliding doors, whatever, let's take these, these <laughs> Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> let's, let's take these movies and we just smush them together and where we end up is like where we need to be. And like they're, they're but thinking about like those, those movies had, had a message. They weren't necessarily like Kramer versus Kramer isn't a message movie, but it has like a worldview that is thought out and is humanistic. And so, and this movie feels like it was made by people who are actually really removed from humanity. And, um, you know, it, it, it feels like it was just, they're not real humans, no real choices. No, it's just, it's a puppet show. I'm sure you guys have like already mentioned this, but like if he's swapping places with someone, like if he is, if the guy who lives in the domestic world is like popping into the family rich, cage. Yeah, yeah. If family cage is popping into Yuppie Cage's world, what kind of lesson is he learning? Like <laughs> yeah. this is great. <laughs> I do well, see, but then I think that teaches him something about his character, which then begs the question. So then, when they flop back, does he leave his wife to try to make it in Wall Street? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, so you guys think that for the whole time that 
Yuppie Cage was in Family Cage's world, it's possible that Family Cage was in Yuppie Cage's world. It's just possible. Yes. And wreaking in fact, havoc. I don't know why yeah. we wouldn't explore that avenue because it, it seems like the obvious one. It might be too obvious. It almost seems. You know what? Like but then again, that, what's the alternative? Is is it just is is it just a simulation? That's what happens running? to that universe when he leaves? Right. Wait, 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 where wait. does it go? Where where do the people? that are running those bodies go when <laughs> Yuppie Cage isn't in Family Cage's body. Yeah. What happens to them? Okay. Well, Wait, like, are they conscious? Just like kept in like stasis somewhere. Where is Family Cage during all this? I, so yeah. where did he go? You know what's weird that I'm thinking of right now is that the, the movie about Family Cage going to Yuppie Cage's world and then coming back and make more sense as like, I see as like you were unhappy in your world, but look how rich you, you were when you had family and stuff and not money. Like, I mean, it still feels like propaganda, but that, that movie makes more sense than having Yuppie Cage go to Family Cage's world, see what he's been missing, go back to being a yuppie and then have his cake and eat it too. Yeah, like that's right. weird. If the lesson is actually that the world is better in Family Cage, then then we got the wrong message because or, or we got the right one. <laughs> I just but we don't know. Yeah, and that's that's what's. I don't think Brett Ratner about, knows. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, everyone, fact, was, I think it was the furthest thing from Ratner's mind. Yeah. Everyone was just. Okay, I, I don't so, think I don't think people were thinking. I don't think people were thinking a lot about any ramifications. No, I'm sure. But if Cage, if Cage it. turned it down five times before he agreed to it because he wanted to keep revising the script, why <laughs> yeah. was this the version that he decided was the one to go with? I think because <laughs> all the people making decisions. What if? Oh, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but what if all of this was actually answered in earlier drafts and he made them rewrite it so that it was more convoluted? <laughs> like, what if it was a tight, concise script, like a weird, you know, like Freaky Friday situation when like Brett Ratner first wrote it and then Cage just turned it into like a morality play? I don't think Ratner wrote it. I think some some other dude wrote it and was trying to have it uh, shopped around. Regardless, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, Would it have been better with Travolta? No. No. No, it would not have been. It might have been just as good. I think it would have been worse. <laughs> yeah. I agree. It would yeah, have been worse. I, I, I don't think Travolta has the kind of... Okay. Whatever kind of like slapstick shit. I think that's the thing. Like, like Cage brings this weird kind of like slapstick energy to it. Um, like, remember when that baby pees in his face? <laughs> when he doesn't know how to... Uh, to change a diaper. Yeah, and the little girl has to help him. It's weird. Well, uh, is there anything else to say about that movie? I have some stuff to say about Saturn. Uh, yeah, go so, for it. So 1999 was the year. <laughs> um, so Nick Cage and his partner, Jeff Levine, founded a, uh, a, a multifaceted production company called Saturn Films. Um, I'm not really sure what happened to it. I guess we're we're gonna find out because we're gonna be following that thread. And um, but, isn't there a list of produced movies only like six or seven long? Yeah, it's it's and not this many. Was one of them. No, I the, he, he yeah he was they were involved in this, and I know they were I know they produced the Nick Cage's directorial debut, which we're coming up to, um, Sun Sunny, but um, the first film that they did was. Uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which um, I thought about us doing a whole episode on, but I don't, I don't think we need to because um, Cage isn't in it. 
Um, I do want it said that I love that movie. It's though. it's it's really fantastic, good. and the whole story around it is pretty interesting. He actually has a producer credit, like, it, yeah. like his production company isn't just at the front of it, but Cage has a maybe an executive producer credit. Yeah. So um, if you've never seen it, it's the story of uh, making Nosferatu, but with kind of like. Uh, Basically, like the actor who plays Nosferatu is actually a vampire. Yeah, and so it 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 sort of plays on the lore surrounding that movie because Max Streck, who played Nosferatu, was actually a weird guy who disappeared, and there were people who died during that shoot and stuff. It, it's it, and uh, so they play it like a, he really was a, a vampire, and starring Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich and Eddie Izzard, and it's it's really good. What I didn't realize was that it was directed by um, E. Elias Marriage, who did Begotten. Mm. And uh, so that, so the script came to Cage's company, and Crispin Glover had seen Begotten and loved it and gave Cage a VHS copy of it and was like, this person should do your movie. And, uh, that's that's how it came together, which uh, I, I guess Cajun and, and dude, I love the Cajun Crispin Glover like have been in contact all these and movies. and Jim Carrey. Think yeah. think about those three guys hanging out. But he like uh, yeah he like met with uh, Elias Maybridge and they apparent quote talked about Tesla and Da Vinci <laughs> and and uh, by all accounts Cage was a pretty cool producer like totally hands off and uh, and through that also got uh, begotten released on DVD or at least by, by elevating marriage status. So I think that's all pretty cool because it's a good movie and or good movies. And um, yeah, so I, like I said, I, I don't know what happened with Saturn films. Um, hopefully uh, I find out before the end of the unauthorized biography of Nicholas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Cause I don't really want to research it on the internet, but, but I will if I have to. I, I always thought those had been I thought those rumors had been debunked, but real shit happened on the actual yeah. set of the original. Yeah, in the movie, he like mm. he he kills a cinematographer. He like feeds on him, and actually, like a cinematographer died during the making of it. Oh my god, weird stuff there. And he did like disappear after production, and he's like really mysterious. So that's creepy because yeah. he is so creepy looking. So weird. Nosferatu is a genuinely scary movie. It is. It's great. Which is impressive for it being so old. Mm -hmm. Oh, next is um, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Ooh. Oh, wow. The seminal. Yeah. The uh, shit. The essential. We're we're hitting so many uh, milestones I wasn't even ready for. I find it it funny that like Jesse and I both kind of like this movie and we're also married. Yeah. We've definitely we've definitely chosen one of the two options. Why does your hand say chair? Because I need to remember something about a chair. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I wrote that actually. Chair. Is that you forgotten? Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. So, oh, Catherine, before we go, can yeah. you, can you do a panther roar? <laughs>
Original please, story, please, Ren Mar, please. executive producer, Dolores, Dolores Carlos. It. Dolores this is Carlos. the new like daytime yeah. TV, like you know, just run. Assistant whatever. producer, Richard, Richard Falcon. Falcon. Yeah, all right. Directed, Directed by, by Ray Ray Mart. <laughs> just the one name. Photo- photographed in oh, one of the most beautiful Tampa, Florida. Florida. Do you think there's actually naked hey, people in this? Hey. I hope so. Why else would you turn on something <laughs> called Naked Complex? 